Psst, before you stick this in your ears, know this. The content presented in this show is designed for a mature audience with a functioning sense of humor. If you are not an adult, are easily offended, or take life too seriously, this is not the show for you. For everyone else... Hello, let's go for a ride. Bienvenido al noveno historia podcast. Chiquete, tu puta madre. Ojalá que tú recibas muchos penes en tus nubes que te llevan mucho. Welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast for episode number 22. Craig's playing in Disneyland with his kids today, so since he's not in town, in the studio with us today, I have David Fairhead. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you on. It's uh, We've been talking about doing this for a little while, so... Reunion of sorts for yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, David is one of our other former co-workers. We speak of all these co-workers that we used <laughs> to have, and, um, and Craig had mentioned before that, you know... It was interesting because in that industry, you end up with a lot of very talented people that just, just didn't kind of fit into other careers. Yep. And uh, so David is evidence of that as well. So <laughs> we know each other through that. We also know each other through our good friend, Dr. Towers. Dr. John Towers. Absolutely. Yes. He got me my start in podcasting and also uh, had a good deal in getting me published for the first time. So awesome. I always thank him for that stuff. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's a good guy. He's a renaissance man, as he likes to say. He's a jack of all trades. <laughs> and um, so you started out with him under Red Horse Radio, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, he gave me my start. He, uh, We all worked in the same place, Dan, actually. Um, you were down the hall from us. Mm -hmm. He saw me getting frustrated at work and whatever, ranting, raving. I, I've told the story before. And uh, then he just came up. He's like, you ever think about podcasts? And I was like, no. <laughs> Not even once. And he's like, you know what? Well, I do it. You know, and, and I talked to his wife, Lori, at the time was his girlfriend. She's like, yeah, he just sits there in the dark and kind of talks to himself. <laughs> But it worked. And it yeah. was cathartic. And you get a lot of things out. Right. Whether anybody's listening. It could be nine people. It could be a hundred. But well, you we're like nine there. people here. <laughs> not, yeah, not You get more than nine. Exactly. If we can, if we can work on, on anything being a multiple of nine, we and Sammy Hagar will be very happy. <laughs> the Red Rocker. Cabo Abo. That's right. <laughs> In the beginning, I think what John did is he had a bunch of different folks on doing different things, right? Indeed. And then he kind of wanted to get back to like his own brand, and you guys branched out into kind of a network. Yes. We stole Mr. Pink from him. I can't say his real name, but we stole him from Red Horse <laughs> Radio. He came on board. For, he does TBA with Mr. Pink, which mm -hmm. he's a great ranting, raving, current event guy, and we love him. He's over on our, our uh, Society 13 Yeah. Podcast. So you have Society 13. Yes. 
which is Nelson's The Wicked, Wicked Library, Library, which is just kicking major ass. That's a great show. Oh, man. That last episode. Did you listen to the last one? I did. Oh, Ray Stevens? Yes. Oh, I love that. That's creepy stuff, She's man. good, yeah. And the one before that was creepy, too. He's had a lot of good stuff on there. Amazing stuff. Um, but and, yeah, the and Wicked I'm, Library. I'm humbled to say that he does have a story of mine, which is supposed to show up next season. He gets inundated with, with yeah. like so much stuff, and he's playing catch-up all the time, yeah. that he could have eight seasons in one year. It's like, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right? I mean, it's just he, – but he's good at what he does, the way he yeah. delivers his production. Mm-hmm. And just like he says, turn the lights down low. It's better than uh, what the Crypt Keeper and all you know, oh, back absolutely. in the day. I mean, right. I, I enjoy it. Absolutely. I enjoy it, and he, we're co-partners in Society 13. Yeah, he's got a uh, – I mean, he's got a great reading voice. Yes, perfect. And, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of his writing as well. Uh, Demon Stalls and Milkshakes was a great book. What a great read. Yeah, and um, hilarious. We had him on for uh, episode number nine here, actually. Yep. So we had a lot of fun with that, and we got to get yeah. him <laughs> back on for another show. Sometime. I have a bone to pick with that episode, actually, with Nelson. He talked about writing style, which this part I agreed in, um, how it changes the more you write. Mm-hmm. What I didn't agree on was how he said, yeah, Dave, you, uh, you know, light some candles and gets a bath drawn and oh, <laughs> he gets yes. in the mood. And like, oh, like, yes. Oh, now, wait a second. <laughs> I remember that. Now, wait a second here. I turn the lights down low and there's music for the moment. We'll get into that. But yeah. There, there's uh, candles if they're lit, they're lit, but there's no bath salts. <laughs> he had like a bubble bath. I think that was me. I was like, does he take a bubble bath and light yeah. some candles? Oh, he, oh he, absolutely. He ran with that one. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to be in so much trouble now. Uh, I just had, I had to clear that one up. <laughs> I am not a method writer. <laughs> Fantastic. Your show is is music. You're the yes. the music whenever Nelson does his intro about what the Society 13 podcast network yes, is. Absolutely. So what made you decide to focus on music as your core theme? Well, I'll tell you right now. It came down to coming home from work and putting on the radio and listening to the same 12 songs in rotation <laughs> since 1995. <laughs> And I'm like, what is happening here? There's all these great bands that never get played. I'm talking local guys. Yeah. They don't even support local acts. What, midnight on Monday night, they might play something from yeah. a local band. I got really sick of it, tired to the point where I got home and my wife was like, Denise, she's just, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I can't believe the radio. I can sit there and roll the dice to, to know what song's coming up next. Yeah. We, we have a game we play. Yeah. We, it's called Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, or the Toadies. And that's, <laughs> you know, you're listening to the 105.9 The X. Right. That's just ridiculous. They don't change anything. There's all these bands that probably send their tapes, tapes, CDs, whatever yeah. you got. Now MP3, MP3 files. files. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like, you know, well, maybe I can get those and get these bands out there and have some fun with them. And I met Heather at a Comic-Con. Next thing you know, she became my, my co-host. And she's more into music than anything. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, you got to love what you're talking about. I mean, yeah. our show's about stories and storytelling. And, hey, if you love stories, part of storytelling is talking about the stories that you love, too. So she sounds like she's a big fan of, of the genre. And what will surprise you is she likes more grunge punk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, she's more into the 90s and even some 80s. Like, she'll, she'll do Violent Femmes before she'll ever listen to Metallica. Yeah. Um, which is more her age. More, more people her age listen to Metallica or... Yeah, even after that, you know, corn and stuff like that, which I like corn. I like them for three albums. But, um, yeah, she's more prone to listening to Pantera. I'm wearing my Pantera shirt. Yeah. Than she is to put on the X and, and listen to, like, what the pop stuff. Now, we love Alice in Chains and we love some Pearl Jam, but mm-hmm. 
it's always the same songs. Yeah. It's like, they never on. play Satan's Bed. Oh, my God. I mean, really. I mean, that's one of my favorite Pearl James songs ever because it's completely different from the rest of anything right. that he does. Right, right. Right. And they just they miss that completely. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tiresome. So it's like, well, let's put stuff out there that will surprise people that it exists. Yeah. Now we play industrial. We play punk. We play metal, rock, blues, the bloody nerve. My favorite new band that yeah. I found last year. You got to give them a listen. Yeah, you were talking about them on uh, what was that, seventy eight or seventy nine? Yeah, um, it's the one where you had uh, uh, the guy from Milwaukee on. Yeah, and I know Heather oh, was all excited. She was like, "I want to go to Milwaukee." That was Dave, the yeah. Dave Barsky, Flying yeah. Medusa. That's doom metal in Milwaukee. We made a connection there with all these doom metalists. And when I say doom, it's kind of sludge rock. There's actually some singing. They're not like growling. You know, oh, yeah. you don't have the death metal. Right. Oh wait, here, what's my death metal quote of the day? Uh, here we go. Well, the strongly under blood red sky. That was uh, a band I heard the other day. I think they're called Hate Eternal, which actually, when you um, that, that that translates to God pissed on my eye. <laughs> but I heard Raw Pastrami awesome. under blood red sky. That's you know? awesome. I'm sitting there in my kitchen, like making dinner, and I, that came on. I'm growling suddenly. These ridiculous lyrics. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, awesome. you know, there's too much death metal. There's some good death metal. I'm not yeah. going to put them down. There's some good ones. I'm a big Morbid Angel fan, the, the, the other stuff like that. But we can get into all that, I mean, forever yeah. if we talk. And, and Heather, again, she's into all that stuff, too. Yeah, and we, we may have her uh, pop by sometime in the future here. I know that she's, oh, yeah. uh, you know, interested in stopping out. She, oh, can, she can hang out with Victoria for a while. She's into the paranormal. So one of the big things, you have big news, obviously. You've had your first novel published. Yes. Burning Ball Publishing. Yes. Our friend Rich Bottles Jr. Yeah, and Gary Vincent. And Gary Vincent. Of course. Um, yeah, they, they gave me my first shot. And we have to go back to John Towers for that because there was this thing. And this is a story I think John wanted you to, to ask me. About. Yeah, he said, <laughs> ask him how they hooked up. Because I had Rich on the show. And he, he was a great interview. He was very well prepared. He had pages of notes. He's a metalhead, too. Rich came up and sat down and we did an interview and talked about having the courage to go into the dark places when you need to to tell a story. And then I found out uh, today that that's actually who your publisher is, is Burning Bulb. So, yes. So tell me about that. Well, what happened was, I don't even, I'm trying to, now we have to go back about three years. I guess he emailed me. He said, you know, I got these guys putting together. He knew I wanted to get published. He's like, we're, they're putting together this anthology of short stories, horror, sci-fi, but it has to be weird. Okay. Like, okay, I can do that. And I didn't realize that the time constraint was a little longer than I thought I had. To, I thought I had to do it that night. Oh, okay. And bang out 10 pages and send it. <laughs> I did exactly that, right. <laughs> and I, you know, I thank John. John was doing some art for these guys. That's Gary Vincent and uh, and Rich Bottles over uh -huh. at Burning Bulb. Sent it. They liked it. They put it in, and it's actually one of the first stories in the anthology of uh, Big Book of Bizarro. Okay, called The Fall. The Fall. Okay. Yes, yes. And I have John to thank for that. And uh, those guys, I don't, I, they liked the story, and I really, literally banged it out a night. It just nice. Like, yeah, but I mean, it could have been better. I had a lot of fixing to do. Right. But they put it out. They liked it so much that, you know, Gary wanted me to elaborate on that one day. And I was like, okay, I'll do it one day. And um, what happened next was I started writing a million different other things. I have three books right now that are two finished and two almost finished. Okay. And I had finished this one. I, I was talking to Gary, and we, I meet him at Horror Realm and all these other shows or whatever. I'm like, Gary, I'm, I'm like ready, man. You, if you want something from me, I was talking about this other book called Charlie that I was writing. Yeah. Kind of a uh, wicked fairy tale. Okay. And it's, we like dark fairy tales It's here. very it, – it is that. It is just that. And I finished it. And I'm like, Gary, I'm ready. And I guess somewhere I was lost in communication. He thought I was finishing this the, ah, fall, the fall of Tomorrow, the fall of which tomorrow. was elaborating on the short story, The Fall, that they published. And I, I didn't. And this is like late December. I was like, oh, Gary, man, uh, <laughs> I guess there's a miscommunication on my part. I don't know. But I didn't do that one. I did this one. He's like, well, I really want you to do this. So 
thinking on those terms, I was like, all right. So January, first week of January to the end of January, I banged this out. Mm -hmm. And it just came to me. It's called The Fall of Tomorrow. It is post-apocalyptic. It's not zombies. And this time it's a demon invasion, but it's kind of an anything goes. It's anything you're looking at could become dangerous to you. Right. Just like this wire right here can become a tentacle, wrap around you, pull you down. And nice. Like it just, they, basically, they've invaded our world, and we have to find a way to counteract that. Gotcha. And he wanted that, and I gave him that, and he seemed to like it. <laughs> Good. You shared the first three chapters with me. I read through those. I like how you start, though, because uh, to me it's interesting that – the way it's written, I'm not 100% sure if these are actually demons or if these are aliens or what exactly is coming in. Right. It's supposed to be that way. Yeah. And you're not going to know till the end, really. A lot of it, when I say demons, you don't know where these demons are coming from. Right. I think that's how people would react, too. Some people are going to be like, oh, it's aliens. And some people are going to be like, well, it's demons from hell or whatever the case may be. So I'm looking forward to, to reading through the rest of it. One of the neat techniques that I've never been able to pull off, which is having somebody reading other people's journals, which I think is a really cool way to do things. I've never been particularly effective at it when I've tried it, but it's... it's i got to be honest, I'm not a fan of it. It just kind of worked. Uh, and, and that's sometimes what it is. The story tells you where it wants to go. You know where I got it from. And a lot of people will say World War Z, and I'm, I, I honestly, I hate the movie. Um, but the book, World War Z, mm -hmm. good book, but it's more of a newsreel. It's tell me, not show me. Yeah. So go like, figure, there's, there's a situation where the movie is not as good as the book. The movie, uh, right? It's just, but no, <laughs> that the, never happens. I'm kind of mediocre with both. What I did differently, and I'm going to tell you right now where I got it from, is actually Dracula, Bram Stoker. Oh, okay, it's a the series letters. of journals all put together. But the, the big difference is, and, and this is what World War Z was missing, the characters interact eventually, mm -hmm. and the stories overlap. You'll right. see people mixing in other people's journals all of a sudden, and not all of them make it. It's not going to be like, oh, because he wrote this, he's safe at the end. No. Yeah. And it all comes together in the end, and you get to find out what happened to everybody and what is actually there. I'm not going to leave it like Soprano's ending. It is a definitive ending. Okay. Okay. So this is going to be more like Breaking Bad ending. Did you watch oh, Breaking yeah. Bad? Yeah. Loved and, it. Craig and I are big fans of Breaking Bad, and we Loved talked it. about the ending. I told him, I said, I think it's probably the most satisfying ending for anything I've watched in years. I didn't need more. I didn't. I, I missed the show, yeah. but I didn't need more. Yeah, I, I walked away and I was like, yes. okay, everything's wrapped up. I feel fantastic. good about it. Great show. Yeah, absolutely fantastic show. But thanks for your interest in the book. Oh, I absolutely. mean, this is my first outing, and if it does well, I might have more coming. So we'll see what happens. Terrific. You picked out a little section of the book, and we'll do a reading of that a little bit later. Cool, cool. So well, that'll be something for folks to look forward to. So working with uh, the guys from Burning Ball, what was that process like? Well, some of the listeners are aspiring writers, and yes. they have questions about, you know, what is it like to work with a publisher um, once you turn over your first draft and say, hey, here's my beautiful story? I got to say, Gary has been unbelievably – the freedom that I had was just amazing. Basically, what I wanted to happen, he made happen. And if he didn't like it, I didn't get anything, any feedback on anything he didn't like. Basically, he just said, you know, read through. If you don't like something, fix it or, or tell me to fix it and I'll fix it. Right. He just, he was great. I mean, it, this has been a great experience. I'm just very happy all around. And this is, I'm an older guy and you know, I'm, I'm 43 now. So it's like about time yeah. is a dream of mine. And I've always been a, a character driven person, not a story driven. I like the characters to make the story. And you guys talked about it, you and Nelson, uh, mm -hmm. how a story evolves on its own. Right. Very important. I mean, because it did. There are things that happened in here I didn't plan. That's, to me, that's when a story is good. If you don't even know how where it's going, but it happens to get there, 
when you're writing and the character says something, you're like, wait a minute, that's not what you were supposed to say. Right. That's that's when it's fun. Yeah, a lot of people think it's sick. There's a lot of self-analyzation that I, mm-hmm. I was talking to my cousin about self-analyzation in this book. There's a character in there that I, I made, you know, what if things did not go the way they went in my life and I was evil, Dave. Right. That character became real in here. And it's kind of a scary thing to do, but you well, learn writing a lot. Is, <laughs> writing is cathartic. I mean, you're always – I feel that you're always whispering in your own ear. Just because you have a character that's a serial killer in there doesn't mean that you're secretly a serial killer. But there's probably something that that character is saying. It's not people that I'm killing. It's actually this concept or this idea or this thing that you're hanging on to Mm -hmm. that needs to be killed. And you're Um, you're talking about one of the characters, Creepy Buckley. You read about him. He was an aspiring serial killer that never killed, but right. he, he thought he'd be the best. Yeah. And he's he started seeing demons. Now, I played with a lot of ideas there, you know, like Bundy and these serial killers, dogs talking to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. What if they really were? <laughs> yeah. What if what they're seeing is real? Because mm-hmm. they're actually seeing the reality that we're not capable of seeing. Who was it that had the dog that talked to him? Was, was that, that Sam? Yeah, Son of Sam. Son of Sam. Yep. Because I remember watching, and I only caught, a brief part of the the movie. Oh, I love on that HBO. movie. I, I haven't watched movie. the whole thing yet. It's I, a nostalgia I, flick. Great it? nostalgia. I lived in New York at the time. Okay, and I was old enough to remember what was going on because he was the, the monster on the school bus. Like he's coming to get you. You know, wow. forty four caliber caliber killer. He's going to get you in the back of the bus. Run home when you get off the bus stop. Yeah, the, you know, the stadium, uh, Met Stadium, shutting down the blackout and there, all crazy stuff that was going on. And um, people dressing the way they did. That was fucking frightening, man. <laughs> but real disco yeah. and punk was going on at the same yeah. time. That dichotomy of music, it bred so much darkness. Yeah. But later on, it's great. And, man, Spike Lee captured that in that movie. The scene that I caught is, and I haven't seen the whole movie, so I could be wrong, but I think it probably is the creepiest scene in the entire movie because it was completely unexpected. I know he looks say. over and the dog actually speaks to him. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, that dog just talked. <laughs> yes, yes. And it just, I got chills from it because, I mean, I knew that that was the concept behind it is the dog was telling him to yes, do things. Yes. But I never expected them to actually put it in the movie where the dog was actually talking to him. And when it turned to him and looked at him and spoke, I was like, <laughs> there's creepier moments than that. Yeah. But it, mostly there's the paranoia. That was going on. It's funny that we're talking about this because I rewatched it for the third time recently. And um, it just, for me, it is a piece of nostalgia from home and a real horror I grew up with. And as a kid, it's an apocalyptic scene. Like, is this guy going to take over the world? Then the blackout happens. It's just like, you know, what is going on here? That was around the time of the blackout, too. Yeah. But the news, the way it just, you thought there was this monster walking your streets. Yeah. And older kids took advantage of that and scared the hell out of me. You know, that's where I learned to write scary stuff from older kids trying to scare me. <laughs> well, so Son of Sam inspired. Yes, yeah, definitely. Wait till you see, hear some of the other inspirations, but we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, cool. So, how much did the story change from your first draft? Well, first draft. Now that it was the short story, which you read, was right. the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, change. Well, I knew it was going to be every chapter was going to be a perspective of another character until they all started meeting each mm-hmm. other. Because there's very few survivors. And their mission was to leave their story behind for the next person to find so that they know where to go that's safe and how to deal with certain monsters. And there's certain ways to kill ones and other ways that don't work. And they share the information because there's no internet anymore. There's radio, some radio waves. And they leave parchment wrapped up in plastic, leave them on trees for people to find. But anyway, um, how did it evolve? I didn't know I was going to do it from a perspective of a new character every chapter. I didn't know I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was just going to go with the current ones, but they were already in a safe haven and trying to get the other people to find them. So let's go with different territories, Pittsburgh, Jersey, some Long Island, upstate New York, mid, uh, mid-Pennsylvania, Philly. 
Um, I stuck with the areas that I, I know pretty well. Right. Um, and it just it became a quest book because I was always into quest books. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let's tell from a perspective from each character. Eventually, inter they'll all be interwoven. They'll be a, you know at the end we'll see who made it, who didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just I wanted to make each one. It could be a short story on its own with a different monster. Okay. A lot of the monsters cross over too, and it yeah. is it is a character driven monster story at a time where I'm I'm so sick of serial killers. I mean, we're talking about Son of Sam, yeah. But you know, I'm tired of bad people. Let's go back to monsters. There's enough bad people in the yeah. news. And I grew up, and I think definitely when you grew up, there were more monsters in horror movies. Oh yeah, it wasn't Freddy the and Jason. And... I'm even going as far back as Day of the Triffids. Oh you yeah, know? like it, that to me is. The, 28 Days Later ripped off the beginning of Day of the Triffids. The guy waking up, he was blind, so he was... Uh, and he's no, I never up. thought about that. He's lying in the bed. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's lying in the bed. He wakes up. Now, think of Day of the Triffids. He missed the whole meteor shower because he was blindfolded. So right. he he could see. Nobody else could see, and they're walking uh, right into these man-eating okay. plants. Right. Now, he was spared in 28 Days Later because he was held up in this bed. Right. And it opens the same way. They totally ripped it off. But um, I just I don't know I miss the old fashioned well, monster. Movie. Th- that's kind of how um, Lincoln survives in Walking Dead too, right? Isn't he in the hospital Very in a similar. coma? Exactly. There it is again. See, the formula works. Yeah, we'll get into the formula. Then. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Craig and I have said this before. There's really only three stories out there. I mean, they say eight to you know seven or eight stories, but when you boil it down, there's really three stories that get retold over and over. I and heard over you guys again. talking about this. Yeah, and it's the same thing that you know Uncle Joe Campbell says too. That. You know, it's basically the the monomyth. It's it's the same story, and it's how you tell it and what what the quest is. Yes, um, which George Lucas used to great success when he did Star Wars because he basically followed it as if it was a, a recipe. Yep. Okay, now I'm going to put this here, and I'm going to put this here <laughs> until I redo it, and then screw all that up. Okay. Can I tell you something funny about that? Yeah, though? go ahead. Because I am a huge Star Wars fan. Now. Oh yeah. I, I saw it. You know, in '78 in the theater. And I saw it with my parents and their bowling team at the time yeah. after midnight. It was a big treat for me anyway. <laughs> what are you going to do? So we go. We The next day I'm talking to my mom how cool it was. And I knew there were toys out. I knew you couldn't get them yet and all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. And that. my mom says it was very Wizard of Oz. And I was just like thinking about it. I didn't agree then. I was like, that's not cool. But then when you really think yeah. about it, the Wiz – Darth Vader, you know, yeah. the man behind the mask, right. the quest. You got the lion, Chewbacca. The, the, the whole thing was a quest, and yeah. they keep picking up people as they go down Yellow Brick Road. Well, they're on their way to the Death Star to save the princess. Yeah. And it, it, there's a lot of similarities between The Wizard of Oz and Star Wars. I'm not the first to see this, I know. No. But I didn't want to like that. <laughs> yeah. But because, it was Yeah. You know, the Star Wars, as a boy, as a young boy, you're like, this is so cool. Yeah. There's yeah. swords and guns and ships. And what about the none? ceremony at the end yeah. of A New Hope? It's They're like, like in the Emerald City. Exactly you know, right. So, yeah. Exactly right. Nah. So what inspired and drove you to tell the story? Because it's, it's a long – I don't know about you in your writing experience, but I've experienced mid-novel. Huh. It happened with uh, – yeah, the one – one of the three I'm still working on. Uh, I should say one of two I'm still working on. Yeah. You're right. Mid, yeah, midway, I'm like, hmm. But I, I, I got to be honest with you. Like my cogs and gears have been sharpened since I was eight years old. And it comes with, and this goes into a lot of people that get mad at me when they come over to my house and watch a bad movie, mm-hmm. or I recommend a bad movie, but to me it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I find something good in everything. And I honestly, like, I'll give you a good example, and John Towers is involved. 
I found when we did a comic book thing there, um, yeah. World Zombie Wrestling, WZWA, World Zombie Wrestling Association, when we were doing our, our Comic-Con, I found a copy of Starship Yamato, which is Star Blazers in America, the anime from the 70, late 70s, early 80s. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with that. It was, you know, very two-dimensional cartoon. The same guys that did Robotech and Battle of the Planets did this cartoon. Okay. Well, I found a live-action one from Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah, I bought it. And I freaking loved it. And John was looking forward to watching it, and he hated it. <laughs> he hated it. Now, the thing that I love about it and what I take from it is I could never imagine that being a live-action film. So seeing characters, real live-action characters flying these ships, the Starship Yamato in space, and just seeing these things, I could never have imagined. Just like Spider-Man when we were kids, we couldn't mm-hmm. imagine a really good Spider-Man movie. Oh, yeah. That now was in development hell for years. Hell. So we're happy when we see Tobey Maguire. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is good. Okay, I could do this. You know, I even liked the first Hulk movie, even though it wasn't that good. Yeah. But you could not, this couldn't happen in the 70s and 80s and make it look real. Guys right. in tights look stupid. You know, but uh, there's something to be said about a bad movie. Take something from it, whether it's the cinematography, the soundtrack, mm-hmm. even a single scene. Right. I take that and use it. I'm like, I enjoyed that. So why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll get into some other fun stuff. Do a naked king waiting here. Yeah, your nose is wrong longer. When will you become real? Tell me why, tell me why can you wake up? Tell me why, tell me why can you wake up? Tell me why, tell me why you're wasting, waiting for this. I'm going in a battle while your secrets keep. She fold you with an apple, now the spell is long and deep Bleeding finger on the spindle, a hundred years until we meet From the path you fell to find a wolf dressed like a sheep Tell me why, tell me why can you wake up? Yes. So the main thing we wanted to talk about today, mm-hmm. other than the fact that you have a book out and that we'd like everybody to pick up a copy and read it and enjoy it. The Fall of Tomorrow. Yes. So your show obviously is about music. Yes. Ours is about storytelling. And music and storytelling are really the same thing, in my opinion. Music tells a story on its own. For you, what I wanted to talk about was mm-hmm. kind of this incestuous relationship that exists between writers and songs and music. And I don't want to say storytellers because writers are storytellers and I think musicians are storytellers too. So I think mm-hmm. it's the same thing. But I think you understand what I'm saying. There's Absolutely. there's a great deal of inspiration that flows back and forth in both directions. Yep. So how does music influence your writing? 
Well, I can tell you this right off the bat. I can be in a non-writing mood, which, which does happen. Like, you know, if I got other things, you got to pay the bills, got to go to work, whatever the hell. But as soon as I put on the radio or like XM Sirius, not FM, mm-hmm. or my own music, all of a sudden a song could turn me around like, ooh, I could run with that. That's a great idea. But I get visuals from the songs. Absolutely. I get visuals. Like it doesn't uh, – it's not the words. It's really not about them. Uh, Al Jorgensen, Ministry, he um, he said that – you know, and, and also I'm going to go to the other extreme, Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. Joe Elliott said that the music is to that person listening. It, it doesn't mean that the song is about their broken love. Maybe it's a, a night out drinking with the boys they had one night. That song is to that person listening. It's for them oh, wow. to interpret. That's well, great. Uh, the other – the other side of that which is darker of course uh kurt cobain we were fans of nirvana i don't think mm-hmm. you may may or may not have been oh yeah um well i grew up in the 90s well there you go i remember where, like you said on your show was it episode 80 or 79 you were talking about cobain he and happens every five episodes <laughs> you were talking about where you, you know where you were when it happened oh uh, yeah yeah. That i was, think that was that was just your yeah, most recent one yeah right? that was 80 yeah that was 80 now, no way do I see him as a hero. He's a hero lyrically, but he left a kid behind. John right. Lennon was a hero to me. Yes. Um, Kurt Cobain, I mean, it, it's a, the coward's way out, whatever the hell. I, he, I love the music. Now, what happened there where you can influence somebody the wrong way, and that's why I like to deal with monsters and not mm-hmm. serial killers. The song Dive, um, it, at the end of the song Dive, it sounds like he's saying, die with me, saying, dive with me, dive with me. Well, some asshole killed himself saying that he would – and wrote that yeah. he was talking to him, saying, die with me. Well, we may be better yeah. off. Yeah, right, probably. Who knows? I mean, um, song sets the mood for me. It changes the way that I write. So if I'm writing a particular scene and I want to feel a certain way, I kind of know what I want to go for. I want to pull some... Gordon Lightfoot. Exactly. I want to pull some Evanescence. What I listen to changes my mood and my mindset, and it, and it really influences... A scene. And, and sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll be banging away at something and I can't get it to work and I'll put the right song on and mm-hmm. I'm just like, boom, I can just run through it. Yes. Um, well, look, real quick. Just yeah. Here. Go through that. I'm showing him my book right now. Okay. This is not a plug, but I just approved how music does affect me. Go to the first few pages. You'll see a quote. Okay. Rich Bottles will like this. In a darkened graveyard glows a light. I see it shine there every night. I know somewhere... There's a hidden door. There's an answer here we must explore. Watch the children pray, Metal Church. Yeah. Rich Bottles was at that show with me recently. They're one of my favorite bands from back in the 80s. Uh, Heavy metal, of course. But there's a that's just an example of a song influencing the pages. Yeah. And I I know Stephen King's a big fan of pulling a lyric and putting it at the front of a chapter. Rock and roll, you know? And he says he starts his day every day. Him and his wife put on 45s and dance to rock and roll. (laughs) I love that story. I love that, you know? Where were you going? I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, no, no. We were heading in the same direction. I was just saying that, you know, music affects the way that if I pick the right song, it's definitely going to have an impact on the scene that I write. If I pull the Twin Peaks soundtrack and I play the right song from there, I can get that creepy scene in, you know? I, I, I caught some flack, as you know, from Nelson. Uh, too. For I write, bubble bathing while you write? <laughs> yeah, which is so not true. <laughs> but what I what I do with this other book that I'm writing, I, it takes place in the late 70s and early 80s. So there's a lot of 70s songs and 80s, early 80s songs on the radio. I get in the mood by um, going back to my childhood days and I listen to XM 70s. Mm-hmm. And I put that on. It sets the mood for you know when i was on the beach as a kid you know like and and what does that too think about jaws when they're on the beach and the transistor radios are playing everything's quiet you just hear the water and you hear a radio in the background you get that feel for what it was at that time yeah 
Totally. And then the kid gets mauled, and he's just like, yay! <laughs> Alex Kintner, can I just have five more minutes and a yellow raft that won't attract sharks? <laughs> sharks love yellow, apparently. They do. Um, so, in addition to the music, which obviously lyrics, music together, or just the music by itself can help you get into a certain mindset. Have you ever had a situation where a snatch of lyric or maybe a line from a song can inspire a whole world for you? Boom. Absolutely. You, you read one. Uh, my first book I wrote in 95, which, of course, I had to go back and fix because I was straight out of college and stupid <laughs> as hell. And uh, I found a pen. Look what I can do with it. <laughs> right. And it was like, you know, like we didn't even have the mouse with the computer yet. We were just getting those. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I did write this 400-page book, this epic, you know, dragon story that's more Game of Thrones than Dungeons & Dragons. We, yeah, John Towers even said you, everybody writes their first, like, you know, um, the end of the world apocalyptic tale mm-hmm. as their first book. And, you know. You know, a religious tale. I don't know what you want to call it. But anyway, uh, yes, the bottom line is this. Filter. And that's Richie Patrick. You know, he's from the area up uh, Ohio, actually. Under just totally intrigued me. The, the lines, the lyrics, the darkness of it. And it's a heavy-ass song. And it's really good. And I just took that because the character, the lead character, was just a dark guy. Yeah. And he basically lived the song now as I saw it. Once again, you're making a, making a song your own. Uh, that had total different interpretations because I met Richie Patrick and um, <laughs> when I asked him what the song was about and this is down in the south side with my wife Denise and he came off the bus and I'm like oh man so glad to meet you he's a huge Star Wars fan by the way cool and um, I was like listen man your your song Under inspired me to write an, an entire book and I even talked about this on my show and nice. I was like I was like what is it about and he's like um, it's about taking LSD with Al Jorgensen in ministry oh Completely not what I had in mind <laughs> at all, and, and that goes back to what we were just talking about, yep. where you interpretation. know the song means something to you. Yes, um, and, and I think that's and that's my speaking of Star Wars. I'll just throw it in real quick because we like to beat up George a little bit lovingly every once in a while. Lovingly, I mean that's that's my biggest beef with George is once you put your movie out there. It's not yours anymore. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to everybody. It belongs to the people that grew up and were inspired by it. It meant something to them and became a part of them. And when you fuck with it (laughs) and you change shit around, that's great because that's what you originally intended to do. But you can't take away the original. Hand shot first. Give me a break. Well, as Dr. Towers said, and this is a great point, Han shot. Greedo never got a chance to shoot. Right, right. In the original version. So it's it's not about who shot first, it's just that he shot. Yeah. <laughs> in cold blood. Yeah. Which made and the it character, changes his character. It made from, his character so much stronger. Yes. yes. I mean, it makes the Han Solo that we see at the end different from the Han Solo that we yeah. see. He's not that guy in the beginning, George. Yeah. He changes through the course of the movie, and that's what made him fascinating. I think he had a lot of people in his ear, like his producers, that were trying to numb it down for kids again. And they're trying to get a new audience. And I, I really do think he was going P- to PC. Not not happy with it. For yeah. me, it's always going to be what it was in the beginning. I got well, my VHS you know, I mean, Steven Spielberg, when he put out the revised version of E.T. with the walkie-talkies for guns, right next to it in the same box is the original version of E.T. I know this is the one you love. This is the one I wanted to make. Which I think is what Lucas should have done. He should have yeah. said, well, this is what I wanted to make. But here's the one you love. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, they have the money to mess with it, so that you're right. They should do it the right way for yeah. the fans. If you haven't seen it, folks, I, I talked about this with Craig before, and uh, Dr. Towers is the one that turned me on to it. 
the People versus George Lucas. It's a great documentary. If you love George Lucas, you should see it. If you hate George Lucas, you should see it. If you love and hate George Lucas, like most of us do, then you should see it. It's a great documentary. I think I'm one of the only people in the world uh, looking forward to Episode 7. Well, I'm looking forward I'm to I'm looking forward to Episode 7 just like I look forward to the prequels. Every time it says Star Wars, I'm there. Yeah. You know? Lately, I've been disappointed, but I don't know. Disney's involved now, and I have a love-hate relationship with Disney as well. They have money. <laughs> they do have money, and they did Pirates of the Caribbean, right? So yeah. we'll see what they do with Star Wars. Basically, what I think is George is a great idea guy. He's a terrible writer. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. But I'm looking forward to Seven only because it's a reason to go to the movies again. Yeah. That's, that's really all I got on that. Uh, Dave Grohl uh, yes. was quoted as saying that he knows the formula to write the perfect song. He's proven that mm-hmm. album after album after album. The same thing. There's a parallel with writing and movies. We have the build before the chorus. Everybody wants to sing along to the chorus. Well, and then there's the drop. You got the riff and everything. I think writing is the same way. If you follow that formula, it's just harder to keep people's attention for like 400 pages. Oh, absolutely. But you have to have the same formula. Like Jaws is the perfect example. I saw that when I was eight years old and I haven't stopped since because the opening scene, you're there. You're in. Yeah. What's happening? And you know what? You you want to be there for the next time it happens. And then you build your character in between. You know, that's when, you know, like the next chorus hits and then the Alex Kintner kid yeah. gets killed. You know, there's an ebb and flow to the whole thing. And if you don't know the formula, a lot of these people don't know the formula. They're yeah. making these these horrible B movies. Yes. And on the other side, there's some really good ones, too. We'll yeah. get into that later. Yeah. But Dave Grohl and the whole formula to writing a good song, I think there's a lot of writers that could use that use a song formula to writing their story. Just stretch it out a lot longer. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, before we move on to the next topic, I, I want to say uh, uh, thank you to the Brooklyn Brewery for black chocolate stout. Yum. Yeah, I didn't I, – this is a gift from my friend Cindy who was here last night for our writing circle. She left this behind, so I'm drinking them now. <laughs> and it is fantastic. <laughs> I just have a lot of love for Brooklyn Brewery right now. Anyway, they've been they've been around for a while now. Uh, I know they came, the first one was a big hit, the Brooklyn Ale. Oh really? Uh, oh, I, I'm going back like 13 years, maybe longer <laughs> than that. At least that's when I discovered it. But yeah, good stuff, man. It's delicious. <laughs> As a diabetic, I should not be drinking it, but I am. Anyway, um, so we're talking about lyrics and how oh, that can sorry. inspire. Why did I song. laugh at that? I shouldn't have laughed at you. Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm Wilford Brimley. I got the T-shirt on. Uh, <laughs> got the diabetes. <laughs> I think that's like the ticket to immortality is to have diabetes because he's been around forever. China and syndrome. You ever see China syndrome with, uh, did you even know he Jack was in Lemon? that? Yeah. He's like, well, one of the, well, he's, he's young. And thin then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didnn't know he was in the movie. Jane Fonda. <laughs> Cause he doesn't look anything like him. Right. I just recently yeah. watched that and I'm like, wow, this is not a bad movie. <laughs> and not one time during that movie. Did he say, check your blood sugar and check it often? No. But he, he did miss some of the gears that he was supposed to be looking at. <laughs> this is true. A little bit of a meltdown. I think it's the first symptom of diabetes. <laughs> so when you write, do you listen to music with lyrics or do you listen to just soundtracks? Because I know some people that are like, I can't listen to lyrics. It's too distracting. I don't mind it. Both. Um, the answer is definitely both. I, it, you know, if I'm writing the somber moment that happens in 1970, Gary writes Dreamweaver is in the background. <laughs> um, but a lot of times, um, writing to me, I, I like to, I do this thing and I do it out of being disappointed from actually a lot of good writers. Um, I del- try, I try to deliver on every page. 
I, that's why I don't read mystery novels where it's like, ha ha, after 400 pages of <laughs> bullshit. I can't, I, I just can't do it. So I think every page should be something, there should be something interesting. So I write yeah. and I play music of motion, um, like, uh, all right, Ministry, Pantera, um, a lot of industrial stuff and a lot of thrash metal. If I'm writing an action scene or an action chapter, I just, I want the, the words to flow like the music does. And it kind of orchestrates me to go with that. If I'm writing something dark, you know, they're in the chasm, in the basement, whatever, in the catacombs, I play Godflesh. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, ambient, industrial, dark metal music, Jason mm-hmm. Broderick. Um, Godflesh is really good ambient background, dark, about as dark as it can go and still sound good with a beat. Mm-hmm. And um, great in the background. And They actually were on uh, in a movie and on a soundtrack once in the 90s. Um, it was a Dean Koontz movie, but the movie was, uh, whatever. Yeah, um, Dean. I know, I know. I enjoy his work. I enjoy reading him. There's times when, when Dean's a really good writer. I mean, he's very descriptive. I will give him that. When yeah. he writes a scene, it's a very descriptive scene, and, and I've fallen in love with some of his characters. Some of the, oh, the Watchers. I love Watchers. Oh, yeah. That was the one with the kid and the dog, and the dog was the experimenter. There was the, the evil monster hunting the dog down. And Are you a fan of Odd Thomas? Did you follow his Odd Thomas series? No, no, no. It's, I, got um, out, I got out kind of early with him. Did you? Yeah. Unfortunately, I should go back. Seize the Night was the last one I read, okay. which is what, you know, Carpe He has Dino. so much stuff out yeah. there. That I find myself sometimes having to read the the back cover. Did I read this one? A lot of them are one word titles too. Yeah, strangers. And, yeah. Oh, I did like Phantoms. Phantoms actually gave me nightmares. That book was kind of creepy. Yeah. Because it was a it was kind of like the, this uh, being that was in the form of the blob. Right. But could form into all kinds of things. Not like it. He didn't steal a thing from it. No. When he did that. That was creepy. Yeah. I like that. And the movie had uh, what's her face Jawbreaker. Marilyn Manson's ex-girlfriend was yeah. in that, and it was, that was a decent movie. But that book was creepy. Yeah, I like Phantoms. He has had bad luck when his stuff has been turned into movies. Stephen King's had a lot of bad luck with that too. Honestly, recently there was an Odd Thomas movie that came out, but what happened was there was an argument over the distribution of the movie. So it was supposed to hit theaters, and it never did. So it went directly to video. So let me ask you this: Are there any lyrics that remind you? of stories or vice versa. Like every time you hear this song, it makes you think of this or every time you read this book, it makes you think of this song. Ooh, wow. Um, there was something in pet cemetery. Actually, when I read that Stephen King, like you said, was really good for that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh boy. The, 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 Let me give you an example. Maybe this will help you. You mentioned the toadies earlier. Yeah. Possum kingdom. Possum kingdom is Anne Rice's interview with a vampire to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like step by step. Serial killer wasteland type thing. Like, that's where he took them to kill them. It was a real place. Yeah, he talks about, you know, um, well, I mean, I'm like, I, I, unfortunately, I, I can't play the song on the show. Yeah, behind, but, behind the boathouse. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll show you my dark secret, which yeah. is what she refers to it. As. And I've always wondered, you know, are these guys fans of Anne Rice and the they read the gift, book? The dark gift. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the well, video is completely different than that. But as Lewis Black says, if you listen to a song and you have a picture in your head and then you watch the video and it's the same picture, take a pencil and shove it into your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, Anne, um, Anne Rice, um, Concrete Blonde was inspired by Anne Rice to do the song Bloodletting and the whole oh. album Bloodletting. Now, for some God knows what reason, we had to hear Guns N' Roses do, uh, you know, the Stone song. 
uh, at the end of the, the movie, it should have been Concrete Blonde. I'm sorry. But <laughs> Guns N' Roses was hot at the time. But the whole, like, uh, Jeanette Napolitano wrote Bloodletting the album to be the, the soundtrack to an Anne Rice novel. We'll never see that happen. It's never going to happen. You yeah. know, and they went for the money. And Anne Rice wasn't even happy with the movie at first. So, right. Yeah, what are you going to do? Rob Astrami uh, under Red Blood Scar. <laughs> That's tremendous. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we take another quick break, yes. I wanted to run through real quick bands totally about being into story. We have the Beatles, who yeah. became a new band for Sgt. Pepper's. They became Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. They were no longer John, Ringo, Paul, and George. I can't remember all the characters, but they were a completely different band. Mm -hmm. Kiss did it, obviously. Mm -hmm. They're not Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. They're the star child and the demon and yep. the cat and the onk and the fox and space ace. Guar. David Brocky. Yeah, you got uh, to raise, raise a glass to raise that. Raise a glass, Dave Brocky. God bless. He wasn't done yet, man. He had a lot, of, a lot more work to do. Guar was fun. They were fun. Essentially, they were all playing characters, yeah, right? They were playing characters. They uh, they were they played storylines. Their videos. You could look up Gorgor. Hilarious. Um, they were funny. They could laugh at themselves, and they they, they threw manure at the audience. They <laughs> spewed all kinds of junk at the audience. It was interactive. It, this is something. This is like the mid eighties. They were yeah. doing this stuff. But they were they they were also good musicians. Nobody will ever believe that, but they were. Oh, I'm they sure were. they were. They, I mean, they wouldn't have been around so long if they right. couldn't play a tune. And Kiss was their influence. That's what I'm saying. They were like Kiss on steroids, yeah, from what I could tell. Big time steroids. They even had their own action figures before that was even a thought. They had their own role playing game. They had miniatures. Dave Brocky was behind all of that. At one point, you could send away and get all that stuff. I, of course, I didn't get any of that. I wasn't that much of a fan, but my friends were. It just, um, yeah, it's kind of a loss. Probably pay your house off now, right? Well, <laughs> right, and now you got to look at like bands like Mushroom Head and Slipknot, and they they yeah, carry the fortune. Uh, do not like them. Towers will be upset. No, I no, I just think that it's funny that there's a band called Mushroom Head, Ohio. Yeah, man. Yeah, because we don't we don't know what a Mushroom Head is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was behind the title. I mean. I'm sure there's there's never any sexual innuendo in 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 rock and roll. Is there know. ever? Never. No. Heavy metal, no. Musicians don't like that type no, of thing. They don't they're like, very no. they're very pure. And they don't like girls dancing around the trunk of their car. At White no. Snake. You know, they don't just, want anybody to pour any sugar on them. No, or anything like nothing that. Nothing like that. Nothing about sex. How what about you? Alice Cooper? Alice Cooper. I hope to see this summer. He's coming. Who's he? Is coming? he? Yeah, he's doing one more tour. I have not seen him yet. But I think he's one of the greatest guys in rock. He turned his whole character around because he was high on Budweiser for a good 15, 20 years. <laughs> Budweiser was his drug of choice. He said he sipped that beer and he never stopped it. When and, was this? Uh, from the beginning. Did oh. you not know that? And then he went, moved on to Jack Daniels. He, <laughs> at one point, he said he could drink two bottles of Jack Daniels a day before a show. And he also, but this is the same guy that said, I need two slasher movies a day to get through a day. I'm like, oh, all right, I can go with that. What's his real name? Vince something, right? Oh, I'm going to be killed for not knowing that right now. It's like Vince Ferrara or something like that. Yeah. Rich Bottles, huge fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I met Alice one time years and years ago. I lived out in Arizona and I was at an ABCO and uh, he was shopping for apparently mangoes and other assorted fruits. Stage props. Or? He looked like he just walked off a golf course. I mean, he was he horribly. Probably did. He, he probably did. He was horribly dressed. <laughs> Obviously, didn't have the mascara and all the makeup and everything on. And I just, I was like, that's Alice Cooper over there. <laughs> so I just kind of walked over and I'm like looking at the same 
fruit that he's looking at. And he looks over at me like, all right, I know you recognize me. <laughs> and I'm just like, hey, I'm not going to bother you, Alice. I just wanted to say, hey, big fan, enjoy your, enjoy your show, enjoy your music, enjoy your mangoes, and then walked away. But awesome. But he was, and I, and I think he liked that because he like he walked by me later on in the store, and he's like, he's like, I'm glad you enjoy the music. He wanted to talk a little bit more. That's good. It, yeah. it is good to say, hey, thank you so much, and walk away just to see if they want to talk a little right. more. Sometimes it probably shocked get, him. Yeah. Since you're a fan, I have two uh, Alice Cooper anecdotes you may or may not know about. Now, number one, not so hot. Kip Winger, bass player, used to play mm-hmm. for Alice Cooper. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, Winger, Kip Winger. He, you could find videos of him playing. He used to have that gigantic guitarist, and there was Kip <laughs> Winger right. twirling next to him. Nice. But you know what? Kip Winger was a good bass player, whatever. We'll just let that go. Now, the, this is even better. Do you know about Alice Cooper's horror movie, Monster Dog? I have heard of it. I've I seen it. seen it three times. Um, it's obviously good enough to carry your attention two more times than the first. If you like Alice Cooper, yes. Otherwise, there's no reason to watch it. (laughs) But there's a really cool song on it. Again, this is movie reflecting music and vice versa. He does a song called See See Me in Your Mirror. And you only hear about two minutes of it. And it's one of the coolest songs I've ever heard in my life. And I don't think it's on any album he ever put it on. Really? It's so freaking cool. I'm like, wow, this is good. Written this would be just good. for the movie, just to be in there, just to tease you. And if there was a soundtrack, that's long gone. It was on vinyl. You know, this, yeah. this Monster Dog is like 85, 84. Mm. It could be wrong. And uh, a good time for Alice Cooper, but bad time for fans. I don't think you can find that song. But watch the movie for the song and then tell me. I think it's – he's shooting the, – the idea is he's, he rented a mansion, which was true. He rented a mansion, in a, a haunted mansion, okay. to film a video. This really happened. He talked about it later. And they go all hound of the Baskervilles instead of ghosts, which didn't work out so well. <laughs> and But they, they do shoot a, 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 a video for a song called See Me in Your Mirror. And it's a really cool little riff that happens that we never hear again. Unless there's fans out there that say, oh, yeah, I got it. I'd love to hear it. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, if you do, shoot us an email. Yeah, feedback man. at ninthstory.com. Send me an MP3. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we'll uh, we'll send you something special as a thank you. I've been after that for. A we long can get time. you a copy of Dave's new book. Oh, yes, you can. So it's going to be available on Amazon.com. Okay. In the first two weeks of May, that's up to Amazon. We don't really have much control over that, right? But it'll be available on Kindle and, of course, paperback. Which you're getting this copy right here. Yeah, you're going to sign a copy for yeah. me. That's okay, awesome. If you really want that? I don't, yeah. That would be terrific. Okay, you bet we I have a that. pen sitting here, so you know cool, you can play cool. with that later. All right, no problem, man. I appreciate it. So, last two bands I wanted to talk about that I think are this one's kind of funny, actually. The Monkees. Yes. You know what's funny to me about the Monkees is, unlike all these other bands, they were kind of put together. They were cast. They were put together. Yes. Okay, these guys are the Monkees now. Boy bands. What do they do now? They were the first. What do they do now? They were the first, but it worked. They had a TV show that ran what two or three seasons. Yeah. All right, and I, I have to add to this. I saw them in South Park. When Davey was still alive, and they it was the three of them, mm-hmm. I want to say somewhere between 2004 and 2007, they did the Rib Fest. Yeah. And for three bucks, you got a two-and-a-half-hour show of the monkeys, all right? That's awesome. I never thought I'd see the monkeys. And Especially after his mom made, what was it, Whiteout? Or I don't didn't want to. Who was it that his mom invented? Was it Whiteout oh, or? Not Nesmith, I don't think, because he wasn't there. It was the other three. And all three of those guys. Maybe it was him. The the other three guys. Mike Mike, Mike, Mike Nesbitt. Yeah, he's doing his own thing. Um, He was not with them. But 
there, apparently there's no animosity. That's another story. I had that on my show recently. I had a yeah. guy that met him. It's uh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah. um, the, the, well, I wanted to I wanted to say the monkeys did a good show, a fun show. We were there with my wife Denise and mm-hmm. her parents, and it spanned the decades. There were little kids. There were people with their parents all getting into it. Yeah, they drew the crowd. Mickey was amazing. Mickey Dolan's. Then all three of them did their own segment of like two or three songs, and then went right back into the monkeys. I'm like these are performers. What's your favorite monkey song? Last last train to Clarkstown. Last train to Clarkstown or out of Clarkstown or uh, yeah, last train escape from the Death Star. Cl- <laughs> <laughs> last train last Clarksville? train to Clarksville. Yes, that is. Oh, and Stepping Stone is amazing. And, I love that. That's and fun. then there's the one that was co-opted by Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers. Oh God, for Shrek. Oh, uh, he got me on that. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer, which is a great monkey song. That was actually my wedding recessional. Fantastic. Terrific. No one would see that coming. No one. I like that. Last one. And I had to save this for last because I think out of the the whole series, this one's the best. Simply because everybody buys into this mythology. Mm. Spinal Tap. Mm. Big bottom. Yes. Yes. Talk about mud flaps. My girl's got them. Big bottom. (laughs) Have you ever seen the director's cut of that movie? With them on the boat, there's like an extra 45 minutes. I have not seen the director's oh, cut. Well, since oh. you're that big a fan. Well, I have to see it now. It, all I know is uh, there's like they get on a boat after a show or before a show. And it's just them getting drunk and partying on this boat, acting like they're all who they you know are. <laughs> and and it's just ridiculous. It's an extra 45 minutes to that movie. So you wow. get the director's cut. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to write that down. Director's cut of Spinal Tap. Um, yeah, it's. I always enjoyed the movie. I mean, there's a ton of people in there, too. I mean, there's, Lenny. you know, uh, Dana Carvey's in it before he was anybody. He's one of the mimes. Do you know I forgot that? Billy wow. Crystal's in it. Yeah, that I remember. Uh, Paul Schaefer's in it. Yep. All right, well, why don't we take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and talk a little bit about horror movies, and then we'll wrap up. Sounds good. Fairheads, The Fall of Tomorrow. 
The Fall of Tomorrow. It's a tale of desperation told by those who are striving to salvage some hope against a ravenous passion of evil bent on ruling our world. Burning Bull Publishing presents The Fall of Tomorrow by David J. Fairhead. Available May 1st at Amazon.com and at BurningBullPublishing.com. Welcome back to the Night Story Podcast from our special break with the promo for Dave's new book. Yes, The Fall of Tomorrow. Thank you for having me. I'm having a great time, actually. So while I have you here in the studio, I felt it would be a waste of time if I didn't ask you about one of the things that you're hugely passionate about, which is horror movies. Yes. So my first question is, horror movies aren't always good movies. In, and I say that in quotes because Correct. sometimes they're not, you know, your, your Hollywood blockbusters. But some of those movies, even though they're not qualified as good movies, are still important movies. Yes. What do you think makes a horror movie important, even if it's not considered a good movie? Okay, just like a good album. You walk away sometimes with one song that you love, maybe two. Well, movies like that. Maybe there's a scene that hit you like, oh, wow, that stuck with me. Or the sound in the background. Sometimes it is just a sound. There's a movie called Humongous in the 80s. That okay. it's, it's not a good movie. It, it runs like a really good Scooby-Doo episode <laughs> where these kids, they're drinking. They crash. Exactly. They cra and the characters look like them. But they crash on this island that's infested. Well, well there's this uh, hideous being, a deformed child that grew up to be a man eater that lives on the island and feeds off of them and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's the sounds. The movie's not so great, but the music they use is eerie. And Marilyn Manson used some of those sounds, actually. Oh, yeah. It's very similar sounds on, on one of his albums. I forget which one of the, uh, two albums ago. Uh, to uh, just because he found it creepy. There's, mm -hmm. It just sticks with you. Like, why am I watching this? And it, it, like, you take something from it. Um, and I'm, it's funny you should say that because I'm going to get right into it right now. Influences uh, in movies. Well, yeah, you you have your notes and I have my notes, and it's that's what we were going through in the beginning of the show. Is you know where do we overlap? And, and this mm -hmm. was one of the areas that was interesting that we both overlapped on the same topic. Well, I, I, I've got a really bad one, but it scared the hell out of me. First of all, I was like six years old when the trailers were out. Mm -hmm. And a lot of cases, trailers are scarier than the movie. Oh, yeah. And you take that, if you have an imagination, you make it worse than the movie could ever be. <laughs> you know, like, oh, my God. All right. And one of them is Larry Cohen's It's Alive, 1974. I remember this movie. Right. Okay. The Davises had a baby. The yes. one problem is It's Alive. What the hell? It was replayed again in like 60, I'm sorry, 76 to 77. I was old enough to watch TV and know, and, and there was this crib with this claw hanging over the side. I'm like, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. And this thing was small enough to be under my bed every night. You know? <laughs> and that's all it did was eat people. You know, it was just like this, this awesome. tiny little baby just tearing people up. And the movie is dated. Larry Cohen did it as a joke on society, and he did a lot of movies like that. Mm -hmm. But again, the trailer just scared the hell out of you so much, it intrigued you so much that you're making a better movie in your head. Yeah. And the idea of that, of these people giving birth to a genetically mutant monster baby that eats people, that's horrific. Yeah. I mean, if you do it right and they remade well, that movie. Yeah, and because they it's didn't... your baby too. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to kill your child. Right. And it actually came back looking for them, which is kind of creepy oh. all its own. Yeah. 
the idea is creepy. The movie, not so much. It's, it's yeah. laughable. But uh, Rick Baker did do the special effects on the, the baby. So mm-hmm. got to give him credit on that. Uh, Suspiria, love that movie. Now, that's another one. Great movie, Dario Argento. But the trailer was so damn creepy. Uh, that's one where the movie is actually really, it's good. But And they're remaking it, of course. But mm-hmm. the trailer was so freaking creepy. Look up the trailer to the original Suspiria. And if you're a kid in the 70s and you see this trailer, like, you're not going to sleep. Like, <laughs> what is happening here? So I, I took all the stuff and ran with it. And I also ran with really bad horror movies. And there were a lot of them. And I would go in my room and, and rewrite them, whether it was with action figures, my crayons, or if I was actually writing it on paper. I, re, I wrote a lot of stuff as a kid. Yeah. I'd make them better. I'd find what they did wrong and make them better. So I was doing my own cover. Nice. Cover albums. <laughs> That's awesome. I have stuff too that my mom saved that she probably shouldn't have. And everybody else is drawing like pictures of elephants and coloring them in. And instead I'm using my crayons to write with. Like, Why don't you color? I'm writing a story. Did you use red a lot? I did use red a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I thought, I thought it was appropriate. Now I'll preface this by saying that uh, Mr. Weber and I did a show a couple weeks ago and most of it ended up being pretty unusable because we had a few adult beverages during the recording of the show. It happens. But I did save the use your illusion part and also his reference to the Scottish play, which I won't say by name because weird things start to happen. going with it like you were just kind of you were pimping out uh what you've been doing yeah 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 delicious we're gonna pay homage once again to another great writer huh? uh bill shakespeare ah it's Macbeth. you never refer to it by the name in theater do you know why you never mention it by name no why it actually has a true spell in it double double toil and trouble which is there you go that's another yeah, you delicious Shakespeare reference yeah you don't say that really why not it's an actual spell what, what, what really we'll talk about it off air but yeah you you don't you don't refer to it, it, at least in a theater you don't refer to it by name seriously yes well I'm not Stevie Nicks over here I'm not a witch <laughs> I don't. I don't understand. I mean, you're throwing. You th- yeah. We'll talk about it off. This air. is like Esperanto. Whenever, whenever Victoria goes to takes her little nap here, it's just like we'll, the language we'll it, it twins use to speak with one another. I don't. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, it's not good. You lost me there, partner. I don't know what you mean. We'll talk about it off air. Right. I'm superstitious right. because right. I, I got it. in the theater. Oh, fair enough. I got. Oh, is that the whole break a leg thing? Mm, no. I was. Hey. I starred in a the Death of a Salesman. No, no, I was in Hay Fever, a Noel Coward play <laughs> that was that was brought to you by the Ben Avon Theater Players back in 1997. Uh, I played Sandy Terrell. I was a boxer. Are you a boxer? And I had a British accent. And you know what? People fucking. 
people fucking loved it. I had a British accent too in a play that I was in. Yeah. It's called Ten Little Indians, and I played Anthony Marston. It was his uh, listen to me, you, you, mu- you, you shit. Listen, after I played that role, people asked me two things: A, were you Bjorn Borg in a prior life? <laughs> two, do you have a problem playing a twelve-year-old boy? <laughs> <laughs> Those were the two questions I was asked. I was uncomfortable with both of them. I'm so sure. I said, okay, that's it. My acting career is over. This is the end. Right. The only end, my friend. Thank, thank you. Because yeah, Dan is the lizard king. He yeah. can do anything. Do anything. Right. Um, no, that's a true story. Back in 1997, I was in a Noel Cower yeah. production of Hay Fever. Hey, Hay Fever. Hey, Fever. Um... I had to do a British accent. Um, I did the best fucking British accent in the troupe. The main actor, who is the, incidentally, the guy who said, uh, You're very good. Would you be interested in playing a 12-year-old boy? Would you be interested in playing a 12-year-old boy for this priest? I I'm pretty sure he was fucking Ian McKellen, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. That's all I'm saying. I, I kicked the shit out of that role for four nights at the Ben Avon Community Theater. I nailed it. Good um, for you, man. I did. I was I was a light town, man. And that was it. That was my only stage experience. But anyway, dot 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 pause. The use your illusion segment for this week, if you would, uh, maestro. Cue the music. Use your illusion. And for the kids at home, that's illusion with, with, with an A. Banquo's ghost. Because, Dan, after all, you are... Banquo's ghost? No. So Banquo's ghost, uh, by definition, a troubling reminder of past crimes and misdeeds. Mm. Someone or some memory that appears to materialize out of thin air, welcome or not. Banquo and his ghost appear in Shakespeare's Macbeth. The ghost at Act 4, Scene 1. A nobleman and a general who is good and loyal man. Banquo is murdered at Banquo's direction after the witches foretell that Banquo's descendant will rule Scotland. Banquo's son escapes Macbeth's plot to become king. So... The my first familiarity with this great literary quote goes way back to probably I want to say 1989 or 1990. Um, there was a song by the band Marillion. Mer- the listeners will remember Marillion from uh, oh. the great hit Kaylee. Uh, it was with their they were a one hit wonder back in '85 or '86. But they had an album, a subsequent album out, where one of the lines in the songs was, I am the Banquo at your banquet. And I love that song from then on out and the reference back to Beth because when you say, I'm the Banquo, I'm your Banquo, or I'm the I'm Banquo's ghost, I'm the Banquo at your banquet, it, it is truly as the definition just read. It is a reference to the dark parts of our mind. It's the, I'm the reminder of something you did that you don't want to be done. It, it's that thing at the back of your mind that is always there. And, and, and the one thing I will say, Dan, you know, going back to some of the poetry that you, of mine that you published, it kind of lends into the, the, the you are um, 
which is which is one of the poems of mine. I write the nice story. Um, probably not. Um, in a future show. Yeah, in a future show, absolutely. <laughs> that should be a running gag. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It's kind of foretelling of us as humans. There's always something. We we all have our banquo. We all have our banquo's ghost, whether we choose to admit it or not. There's always that. I like to think, positively or negatively, that there's some other force out there, some other reminder of our good deeds, our bad deeds, our etc., that is driving us in our decision making. It could be anything, but in the positive moments of my day, in the dark moments of my day, the the most menial moments of my day, where it could be something as stupid as doing laundry, I will give that moment's pause to say, oh wait, something just happened. And that's the banquet. There's somebody that's reminding me of something. There's a ghost. Everybody's got their ghost. And I write about that a lot. There's so this a, is like whenever something bad is about to happen and but it could your be grandmother that, steps in and... It can be good as well. It's the reminder of something that's happened in our past. It's the, it's the key to our own conscience. It could be the muse that's hanging out there. It's that every moment of your life is inspired by something that's, that's, that's right there over your shoulder. And that's, that's our, that's our banquo. And that's, I believe fundamentally, that's what Shakespeare was trying to tell us that there's in the literal sense there, the, the banquo signifies something that, Hey, Macbeth ordered this guy to be killed. And it's a reminder of a bad deed, but we all have ghosts, positive, negative, literal, figurative. We've all got them. Whether we choose to bust those ghosts, <laughs> Whether we choose to acknowledge those ghosts, accept those ghosts, love those ghosts, whatever, vanquish those ghosts, that's that's up to us. That's that's it. That's it. That's what I got. See, here's the thing about the Scottish play, as it's referred to in theaters. You're not supposed to call it. We're not in a theater, so we can call it Macbeth here. But you're not supposed to call it Macbeth in a theater because supposedly Shakespeare used an actual witch's spell. Whenever he wrote Double Double Toil and Trouble Cauldron, and I won't say the rest of it, because I was in theater and I'm a little superstitious about it as well. There's a lot of tragedy associated with the Scottish play, where theaters have burned down, people have died, swords have fallen. Maybe it's all coincidence. Maybe it's all self-fulfilling prophecy. But that's why you don't call it that. Really? They are superstitious folk. We are. Thus the, uh, break a leg. Yes. Not literally. Well. Yeah. Obviously. Anything else? No. We're, we're, are we done? We, we've had a few beers. I haven't. I feel like, well, you've had a few wines. I haven't. I feel like, uh, are you a fan of Will Ferrell? I am. Have you seen Pearl? No. Where Pearl is his landlord? No. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not. Well, All right. I wouldn't lie to you about that. All right. You have a celebrity on your show. Miss Heather Taddy, you mean? Ooh. She's the best kind of celebrity. She's she's awesome. Very and, humble. Yes. Modest. And she was on Paranormal State. Paranormal right? State. She did the first four seasons. Which yes. was filmed up in Penn State area? Yes. Okay. And she was a graduate. Part of what she did was investigated ghosts and paranormal situations. 
one of the questions I had for you as a big fan of the horror genre is ghosts, vampires, changelings. And George change- C. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie, Changeling. Yes. Yeah. Werewolves and – Werewolves are my favorite, absolute favorite. Dog Soldiers, Howling, American Werewolf in London. Yes. And Ginger Snaps is a little closet favorite of mine, the first one. They have no souls, the gingers. <laughs> and and Bigfoot. Um, I mean, there's there's a whole list I could go on. I have a book okay. right here Ooh. that has mythical creatures. Ah, yes. It's a mythical creatures Bible that I just handed Dave. I'm into cryptozoology. Yes. Zoology. What do you think draws us to these creatures oh, man. again and again? I mean – People remake the stories with ghosts and vampires and werewolves and Bigfoot and Dracula and on and on and on. I The answer I have is because – and I'm going to go like X-Files on you right now. I want I to believe. X-Files. I want to believe. People want to believe. Um, there's too many um, idiot people out there ruining things for all of us, um, scary people that we can't control. We're talking <laughs> terrorism, things. It's just nuts. Right. People are nuts right now. Kids are shooting up schools. Um, these things Stabbing become each other locally. These, these are the monsters you want to believe in because, as far as we know, they haven't killed anybody. You know, it's funny that you say that because <laughs> I was thinking the same thing the other day. I'm like, these are less scary than real people. Yes, and so that's why I prefer it with going with the, the fall of tomorrow, dealing with monsters. You know, let's go somewhere else with this. Let's take people away from the everyday because the everyday just ain't happy anymore. Yeah, it's uh, you know we're going south. And that is what this book's about, kind of, is going south. And uh, the, the, our lack of belief in good things takes us to a different place. So if you believe in these, like the Mothman, I love the Mothman story. Oh, I, I yeah. love, love that story. Um, I love all cryptozoological uh, creatures. How do you say that? It's a hard word to say. Crypto- yeah, it's one of those words that makes you sound drunk, like right? but, judiciary. You but can't they, say judiciary without sounding drunk. <laughs> if you if you watch like river monsters, they do find things. They find yeah. things that haven't been out there. You know, they, they, they're finding new species. What, like, I forget, it was 10 new species in the Amazon every two yeah. years or something like that. So it's possible that there's something out there, and that's yeah. nice to think if you're creative. Mm-hmm. That's the only answer I have for you. Uh, people want to believe in something else. So what do you personally get from a good horror story or a, a good horror movie? When I walk out of the theater, and we'll go back to Star Wars, which isn't horror, I wanted to be there. Yeah. I wanted to pilot that that X-Wing fighter, you know. Um, when I walk out of a good horror movie, if I um, if the the atmosphere is still with me, I still have a chill. You know, it's nice and foggy outside. There's a full moon, whatever the hell, all the cliche stuff. If it worked, and I get I get home and I'm still thinking about it, I'm like, oh man, all right, I just saw a good story. I saw a good story, and if it intrigues me to go and inspires me to go do my own thing, even better. Ah, uh, yes, even better because they created the atmosphere. They have a template. And then I'm like, I'm going to use that template, but I'm going to change it and make it my own, you know? Because yeah. there's nothing really new about what I wrote here um, as far as the ideas. Uh, the monsters are kind of new, but there's a lot of old ideas I brought yeah. back, and I'm using them all at once and throwing in uh, monsters from the past. I, I think you have it exactly right there. It's about how you recombine yes. those elements. So there's nothing new under the new. sun. You've got to come up with your own storyline for what, what's old. I think we're all eight-year-old boys and girls. Especially if you take us out in the middle of the woods by ourselves and give us a good horror story or horror movie or old time radio show to listen to that scares us. Yes. Because I've been there. I've done that. I've been like on my own up in the woods with just my dog and 
been scared shitless because of what I just read or what I just watched. Or the dog looks around like, what's that? Oh, that's And you're wondering what he's thinking. What do you smell that I don't smell? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. the worst when it, when <laughs> my cats do that to me all the time. They're cats just like, are, yeah, they see other stuff. I think, I th- yeah, I think yeah, they do. Yeah, they I do. really think they see things that we're not able to see because they will turn their head and they will stare at something like it's right there. Yep. And you can wave your hand in front of their eyes and they're like, yeah. no, I'm looking over there, Nothing. dude, not at what you're doing. Um, yeah, I think they're in tune with, with other things. I agree. So your your new website is going to be called? FairlyDarkProductions.com. It'll be up and running next week. Um, May 10th is the book release party Fantastic. at someone else's bar in Castle Shannon. Everybody's invited. Um I will be signing books till awesome. they run out, but you will be able to get it, of course, at uh, Burning Bulb Publishing and, of course, Amazon.com. You'll get mm-hmm. the Kindle version or if you want the paperback. Um, I'm not sure the price is yet. Kindle's usually around $5.99. The paperback's like $15.99, but from me, it's going to be a lot cheaper. So Yeah. You're buying directly from the source. Exactly. And you get an autograph, too, so <laughs> why not? I just hope people like it. That's all. That's awesome. I want to entertain. And um, I definitely have an ending that hasn't been done yet. So we'll, cool. We'll just say. Well, it has now. Yeah, let's hope Because so. you did it. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> let's see if people buy it. We'll see if people buy it. <laughs> so uh, you're on Twitter? Absolutely. At Fairly Dark. And your website, obviously, we just talked about. Well, was, yeah, you know what? I got to thank a couple of people real quick here. Yeah, do I'm it. Number one on the list, I, I my wife, Denise. Incredible editor, put up with my shit for years and has been trying. She's read a lot of my stuff that's not out there and never will be out there. And some that might. We'll see. Incredible patience and the kick in the ass that I always needed. But I also have to thank. And she um, leaves you alone while you write. She does. That's a tough job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it, you're right it about is. that. It is. Because and she she knows. She's sharing you with the book. Yeah. It's not like, you know, Jack Torrance, you know, Miss Duval walking behind him. <laughs> right. and, you know, like, I don't want sandwiches. It's not like that at all. It's not like that. But um, Matt Eames, I, got, I have to give big up to Matt Eames. He's he's the artist behind um, some of the, the visuals you're going to see mm-hmm. of my creatures and certain scenes. And he brought a lot of uh, brought a lot of things to life. And you'll see it on the website. You, it's on Facebook down now. But Matt Eames is an amazing artist, and he creates monsters. And he did it. He took it. It's like he took it extracted from my brain. And I'm like, yeah, that's what they look like. Holy shit! How did you do that, Matt Eames? Look him up. Look him up on Twitter. Facebook, he's amazing. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's uh, obviously a, a very gratifying thing when you visualize a character and someone can bring it to life for you. Unbelievable. Yeah, we actually have a, a sculptor working on bringing Victoria to, to life for us. He's uh, he's creating her in 3D, which I'm so excited about. I'm psyched. That's and awesome. She's going to be a 12 inch figure, and he is. He sends me pictures and updates all the time, and he's just sculpting the hell out of her. Oh, my God. I and, love it. And we're going to have him on the show once he finishes with her and brings her here to Ninth Story Studios. We're going to bring him on the show and let him talk about telling a story through sculpting. You talk about a novel, then a short story, then poetry, then a song. Everything gets more and more condensed, and, and you get to the point of when you're sculpting something, there's a story there, too. And I think that's... It's physical, it's visceral, you can touch it, you can look at it, and 
It's it's more than a picture. Yes. It's 3D. You can pick it up in your hands and turn it around and look at it. I mean, this is your creation, and now it's, it's physical. She's going to be in 3D in real life. How fun I'm is that? so excited How about fun is that, that we live in a time that that can happen? Yeah. You know, you know something else I have to mention, too, about being completely humbled. Yeah. Uh, John Russo, who wrote the original Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. he's on Burning Bowl, same publishing company I am, with his new book, Dealey Plaza, which everybody can find at uh, www.dealeyplazabook.com. Dot com. You have to ha- put the book in there. Otherwise, you go to Dealey Plaza and all that yeah. Kennedy stuff. But he made this fictional thing. It's a great story. His book's out there. And I am honored to be on the same label with John Russo, the creator of the flesh-eating zombies. Okay? He was the first. Nice. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, because that, I mean, has inspired a lot of everyone. It, absolutely. Everything that came after. Mm-hmm. Um, if you turn around and look behind you right there, you have Rich Bottles Jr.'s books. Gary and Rich. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Lumberjacks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Buy this book or we'll kill this dog. Ah, Rich Bottles. Ah, he's gotta a, love that. He's a fun guy. Yes, he is. I, I, him and, oh, I have him and Gary to thank, so I yeah. just got to say that. Absolutely. So, so here's the last question of the show. Uh-oh. Are you afraid of the dark? Um, the answer is actually no. Um I love it. I seek it out, and I, and I drive my wife crazy with that. I told her if... And this is a quote. I, uh, if I heard there was something that could kill me in the woods before us, I will first go in because I have to see it to believe it. <laughs> and she's like, you're sick. I'm like, because I don't believe that there could be something. I'd love to see some. I need to see something. So, I mean, if, there, if, if somebody told me there's a werewolf in the woods and it, it's there now, I'd run in there first. So if alien abduction was real, you'd want to be abducted. I, me and my best friend wanted to be abducted. Awesome. We really did. My buddy Chris uh, back home. And, you know, the more you learn about it, the less you really want that to happen. But, <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't do fun things. It's, yeah, it's not a fun time <laughs> for what I understand. not a fun time at all. God. <laughs> we have a special selection of Dave's new book. And this is where we're dealing with a, inst- a mental institution in Bel Vernon and four guys that are there. And um, in this world where uh, creatures are coming out of nowhere, there's also humans are getting – extrasensory powers um, that they think they didn't have. Maybe they were always born with them. It was innate, but they didn't Mm. know it. But the mentally ill, we're dealing with four of them here um, that suddenly discover they have new powers of vision, whether it's before, after, during, or forbearance, or they're seeing things that no one else can see. Okay. Well, here we go. Catherine, the sexy librarian counselor, came to see me on her own accord several times. There she was with her own bright white teeth, as white as her silly white lab coat, coming through my door to one of my bedroom adobe, adorned with the luxurious cube of a bathroom. I had windows. That never helped my situation once. You had to earn the right to have windows to the outside world. No one knew how dangerous I really was. Hell, I'm not so sure how dangerous I am. I was too preoccupied seeing demons, watching folks walking down the street in their suits or driving to their place of employment or going down and shopping in that. Truly was not cohesive to my healing. Jagoffs, all of them. All this did to guys like myself and Gabe was made us realize what freaks we really were considered to be. We were forced to see our place in society. In my case, sometimes it was overwhelming. Usually, you know, through my blinds, I'd see women in their power suits 
trying to catch a bus on the busy corner alongside some urban kids waiting for a school bus next to some ignorant bald and white guy with his briefcase all moving with the motion of the day. On the occasion, a giant spider-type being with a humanoid torso, red skin and yellow eyes walked among them in that netherworld dimension only I could see. I hate to say, I was as delighted as I was surprised. There were other things, too. Those human-shaped, black-skinned things all the time walked all over the Earth as they wouldn't want you to believe they were out there walking amongst people, going about their day, taking it all in, surveying at eye level. These humanoid beings were studying us, not yet invading, but watching from the safety of their void. We know how they reproduce human-shaped entities struggling and striving for our own likeness. It was only after that guy Kyle's story being read over the radio that we put it all to that shit together. In most cases, there were these monstrosities roving about, unseen by human eyes, just waiting for the doorways to open to our world. Folks like me, Peter, and many others throughout our planet had seen these things for years. No one listened. They were insane modern-day cowboys. So, Catherine would come by and see me. Flipboard in hand, short skirt that I up when she sat down, so I'd just catch a glimpse of some modest bloomers. This imagery helped me late at night while she was condescended to me. I noticed the orderlies and staff refer to you as Creepy Buckley. I can stop that. She smiled. My friends call me that, too. It sticks. You are what you is. I've accepted my lot in life, lady. I remember sitting on my chair while her smooth butt sunk in my weak springs in the bed. Oh, I had thoughts of rape. It'd be easy. Quick, too. But not worth the beating I'd get within a minute or two. You know me, Terrence. You mustn't feed me into Peter's behavior. You are smart, maybe too smart for his place, and you've taken Michael under your wings with your friend Gabe. This is appreciated, but the group is a place for healing. You and Peter says back a year in therapy with all that last outburst. She looked over her glasses. Her hair a mass of brownish, red, thin curls on top of her head. Catherine's mockery of my state was abhorrent and just insulting. I wanted to fuck her and call her mom. I'm going to apologize. There's something coming, and it's strong. It'll turn your 401k base the world around, Miss Counselor Catherine. That hippie drifter Peter is more prepared than you, or Chris, my damn handler, or those dumbass security dudes. Up my meds. That'll show me, right? Enough of you. I waved my hands in the air, brushing her off. I remembered I did not want to give her any more eye contact. In the end... I'm surprised that she did not become my first and only human kill in cold blood. Again, my motivation was low, but expectations from the other side was high. I'm placing you in group on Tuesday, the smaller one. Peter will not be there. In a couple of words, she separated me from the only other person I could truly rate to. I hated her. For the first time, I did not watch her ass leave the room. And that's that white skirt. She had slowly become more of a piece of meat to me than a human. Motivation? And I found it. I remember looking out the window 
looking through the blinds, coming eye-to-eye with what looked like a giant praying mantis. But it was darker in hue and crackled skin and hideous yellow eye. This thing stood taller than a man. Had two sets of claws in front, green wings, yellow fangs. It was no insect from Earth. Though I jumped at first, I saw the people walking along Belvern Institute's front lawn did not take notice. So it was not a tangible beast, but another visitor. As I see with hateful bloodlust who struggle that bitch while violating every inch of her body, I then noticed that the creatures from that other dimension became more vivid, closer in range, and stayed around a bit longer. Interesting. Now, I had talked to Gabe about conjuring. Was this a mass conjuring enabled by hatred spread worldwide? Sure. Why not? Those of us like Peter and me, well, it was only it was the only truth. The devils only knew what poor young disheveled Micah was seeing on a regular basis. Maybe nothing. When the fall came, as that cow dude was saying, it did just sort of happen. Cracks in the earth and farm country out in Elizabeth. Even a cracks in the sky formed tiny black holes where a sentinel spilled forth like spray mist of gnats. Cool to know about that vision. The one with the sentinels pouring out of peepholes in the sky. Very few had actually seen that. I saw it in my mind. Multi-legged worms were erupting from the rivers on land and in the nearest house they could find. These were the giant hideous things with caterpillar eyes and just about dripping mandible mouths. They were slower than some of them other things had no name or tangible shape that I can describe to you all. Chris Browning was shambling his way down the hall, banging on my door for a wake-up call. He mentioned an emergency meeting of all residents and staff in the multi-purpose room of the front desk. Then he disappeared down the hall. Catherine entered my room with her clipboard fastened tightly into her palm. Her petite, bony face was a bit wider than normal. She was shaking. Peter's lanky body came in through my door behind the counselor, frantic and arms all held out to the side of the doorway. Man, man, dude, creepy. Did you see? Did, did you did you see TV? We were all right. Wait, come on, fuck that meeting. We got to get out of here. I mean, out of the state. Catherine turned to Peter as I got up out of bed. She said nothing to Peter for the first time. Old tight ass had no reply for him. Something was indeed wrong. No sooner than that moment, Peter backed out of the hallway. Now, for his lights were blinking. And he became focused down the hall to the foyer. I saw his eyes go wide as the urine poured down his white pajama bottoms. He glanced at me over Catherine's shoulder and said, Too late. Run! He did. He ran opposite way down the hall. There were sirens outside, shrieking above shouts of people in the street. I could see folks running apartment buildings, stores, and even inside parked cars as if fleeing from all angles. There was a thumping, rambling on the floor outside while screams were silenced almost at the point of their inception. Catherine was backing out toward me when Chris Brown came running down the doorway again, but that time he tripped, fell into my room with a scream resembling an eight-year-old girl's shriek. His fat face clenched up in pain when he looked up at me and his body was raised sideways in the open doorway. Something had his legs. Snap. Crunch. Something was eating him alive. I pulled him away from the door, splattering blood across the hall. His scream stopped, but Catherine's bellow of shock had just begun. 
we finally were able to see what had done this to Chris and countless others down the hall. A silky black green worm caterpillar. You know, ones I mentioned we would see coming from rivers later with Chris's arm dangling from his mandibles. This thing went by the room like a subway car through a tunnel. Somewhat quick in pace, the thing was sleek as it moved down the hall on an endless array of clawed feet. I never thought it would stop going by my room. This creature of train proportions. My window smashed behind me. Glass shards flew out, and I was hit from behind by whatever was coming in. I fell to the floor. Catherine, midstream, whirled around to meet the new attacker. It was my praying mantis friend from the other day. Only it was not a praying mantis. More hideous, stronger, and I'm telling you, that big yellow eye showed some kind of intelligence. I think Kyle, his story spoke of one of these things, a brown one, right? That took his mom and sister after hideously violating them. So many variations of these things. He was more stick bug than Manus. Some guys get all the luck, right? His mom and sister sounded hot. Well, his sister did. Lucky bug. Well, I watched Counselor Catherine's sanity implode as this thing draped its four front arms around her, snatching her up before backing out and spreading large insect wings to take to the sky. Funny. Last thing I remember about her was she lost her glasses when they took off. She looked me right in the eye, glasses falling from her face, and I could see she was trying to make sense of the whole thing. There was no sense to make of it, and this made me a bit happy. Sort of a revenge thing. See, I told ye. I'm out the word series just before takeoff. Her glasses laying at my feet. I think it might put them on for a brief moment of mockery. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's a knee slapper. N- never saw her again, but I did run into big old Gabe from the front yard. He was forcing Mickey to come with him. The kid was friendly out there in his mind. Gabe had him by the arm. This is what you saw, Buckley. These are the things you've seen, Gabe shouted above the chaos around us. They were explosions in the distance. Well, I've seen something today, and I know it's a safe route, a vision. It came to me this morning. Let's get this kid out of here. If there was ever a time to listen to old Gabe, it was that time the invasion commenced. Peter was jumping out the ground window of the Institute, too, at that moment. He saw us, and I motioned for him, come on! All right, folks. Well, that is it for episode number 22 of the Ninth Story Podcast with our author, David J. Fairhead. Thank you. Pick up his book, The Fall of Tomorrow. We'll see you again for episode number 23. You've been listening to the Ninth Story Podcast, a hicks and fabulous production. All right, folks, thank you so much for staying with us. I want to uh, give Dave a chance to talk a little bit about some of the folks that helped him make it happen. Yeah, just I, I just want to give a big ups to the guys at society13network.wordpress.com. That's where all our shows are. The Wicked Library with Nelson Piles, TBA with Mr. Pink, and Mouthing Off with Christopher Westrick. That's our political show, and he is phenomenal. Give it a shot. Thanks to Dan and Craig, who's not here, and thanks for this opportunity.